You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Hello, Michael. Andre Pru, how are you? I am so good. So good, my friend. Are you drunk again? I'm not drunk. But I actually took over this podcast in the best way possible. So anyone listening to this knows that we're probably going to be talking about my favorite thing to talk about. Uh, Your fiancé? My second most favorite thing to talk about. (laughs) I knew sooner or later I'd get you in trouble somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's going to be Chardonnay. Yay! Oh, Andre Prue. You know what? Uh, Put it this way. Um, I'm leafing through the booklet right now of where you're talking about, which was The Taste of Oregon. Uh, which happened on April 10th. Yep. And uh, we were waxing poetic, not not two minutes before we got on the mic, of how great a show that is, by yes. the way. You know what? Before we get into because we actually, I actually went in there with an angle, and I'll, we'll tell the story of how we got there, but before we do that, props to Will Predom for th- pulling this off two years in a row. Yep. And I was wondering how he was going to top last year, because when you throw that first event it's always like big and you're making a splash and you're making an announcement i think this year was better than last year well a smaller venue as far as i was concerned uh down at the um uh, berkeley church and i think there were fewer wineries but it didn't feel like fewer wineries no i was able i was able to get through it a lot a lot easier this year yes last year last year was a marathon that's for sure and and looking at the the food purveyors that he got he got bark he got Pounds. He got Richmond Station, uh, Niagara Foods, uh, uh, just uh, Sweet Jesus. I know you have a thing about Sweet Jesus, but man, that was good ice cream. You know what? I broke down and had one of the Sweet Jesus ice creams. And which one did you have? Which one? Which I, had one? The birthday, I had the birthday cake ice cream, and I oh. loved it. Um, let's just hope that the people who run that company are treating women a little bit better. Uh, if anyone wants to know what I'm talking about, look up La Carnitas. Instagram, just Google those words and you'll understand what I'm talking about. And that's all I'll say about that. I, I, I had a chocolate peanut butter caramel that was just blew my socks off. A little bit a little bit too frozen, so you had to wait for it. But man, was it worth the wait. Worth the wait. So okay. I'm looking so. forward I'm already looking forward to next year's next year's event. I do want to say that, but let's get right into the the nitty-gritty of what we're doing here. And this has been kind of a fun thing about the power of social media cuz I'm not even sure how exactly I connected with the people from Hazelfern, but I've been following them on Instagram at least since my visit to Oregon a couple of years ago and I didn't visit their winery. But it's it's um a husband and wife team young couple who are are running this winery in Oregon. Um, and if you follow them on, on Instagram, they really they really have captured that romantic element of winemaking. And having done a couple of, of crushes now myself, when you are on the crush pad at harvest time, it is it is fun, but it is not romantic. But they've managed to capture that real fun element of it, which is one of the reasons why I love talking to them on, on social media. So that's the plug for their Instagram account. But there have been a couple of nights where after a couple of beverages, I noticed that they talk a little bit about Chardonnay. And Chardonnay from Oregon is one of my favorite things. And it's also one of the reasons why the event was so great was there was so much Chardonnay in that room. It was unbelievable. But I've been talking to the people from Hazelfern about 
how important Chardonnay is from Oregon. Because right now, Chardonnay makes up uh, less than 10% of the total grapes planted in the state. And it's the number two planted white grape well behind Pinot Gris. Although we did learn that it's it's on the rise. As it should be. So, uh, Michael, did you want to add anything or should we just throw to the, throw to the tape? Well, you know what? Uh, I'll talk after. I'll talk in between. Uh, we are joined by Brian and Laura from Hazelfur. That's right. Yeah. Hey, guys. And we're here to talk about my favorite subject, Michael. Oh, God. <laughs> we're here to talk about Chardonnay. Oh, you know, I had nothing to do with this. So the thing that I find fascinating is, uh, statistically speaking, Chardonnay is the third most widely planted grape in Oregon. The number two, or the number one white grape, is Pinot Gris. I think we should actually say that we are here at the Oregon show, Taste Oregon, yeah, we could in Toronto. We, could, we, we probably said that in the preamble. We didn't say that at all. We, we said it, and then we threw to this interview. Oh, all right. Anyways. Because uh, I'm trying to get you off the Chardonnay topic, and I will continue to try and do that through this whole podcast. So the reason we're talking to Hazel Fern is sometimes when I get a few drinks in me, I follow this great Instagram account. You guys are yeah. so great on social media. Oh, thank but you. You're amazing at replying like right away, and I think we sort of bonded in the social media sphere when you guys were bottling or posting about Chardonnay. Yeah, and it was just like it was like an instant connection about how important this grape is. Yeah, Andre gets very lonely at twelve at night, and because it's three hours earlier where you are, that means that you can. Yeah, Yeah. we're we're just like yeah, we're just getting to the bar at that point. That's usually when you're when you're writing me. Yeah, exactly. So. What we have in our glass is the Hazelfern Chardonnay. Is this the only Chardonnay that you guys make? This is the only Chardonnay right now, but uh, a little bit about like my journey with Chardonnay. This is, this is absolutely my favorite wine to make. So I love to make Chardonnay. We find ourselves drinking so much Chardonnay, uh, way more than red wines. And we were just talking about the other night, actually, just saying, I, I almost said, man, I'm not even, like lately I haven't even craved red wines. I just want to drink Chardonnay all yeah. day long. And there's so much great Chardonnay coming out of Oregon right now. Uh, it's it's uh, being planted very quickly there. So although it's the third uh, planted grape, I think it's like 7%, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we're, we're seeing that people are planting it as fast as possible. And so we're really excited about it. No, this I- is our only Chardonnay, but we intend actually, like Chardonnay is so important to us that, that we're thinking in our tasting room, we're actually going to be doing a, a Chardonnay flight in the future. And so we're adding vineyards. Uh, we're up to about four different vineyard sources for Chardonnay now. How much does this cost per bottle? Uh, this this bottle is uh, this is our Willamette Valley 2016 Chardonnay, and uh, it's thirty five dollars retail uh, in the U S. It's a very fair price for a well made American Chardonnay. And I know we were saying that this is um, a lot of wild ferment in this. A lot, yeah, yeah, a lot. And then I mean, I, I, I that's how I prefer to do it. I, I'm also not afraid to step in if I need to if a ferment's not going well. And, uh, and pitchy yeast, but uh, we barrel ferment the Chardonnay, and so for the most part, uh, this juice does great in the barrel, and most of them take off uh, on their own. So, wild, uh, whatever yeast we have in the winery. Care to toss a tasting note in there, Michael? I, well, I want to ask, why is it your favorite grape to work with? Uh, for is me, it because you don't have any other grapes to work with in Oregon? Is that the whole <laughs> no, point? I mean, come on, man. We, uh, for, for me, uh, it's, it's just, from a winemaking standpoint, it's the most interesting wine where, you know, the decisions I make as a winemaker can actually affect, you know, really the style of the wine. You know, with Chardonnay, you know, first of all, it starts in the vineyard. So when you're watching Chardonnay ripen on the vine, 
uh, it's incredible. Like when, when you know when you're starting in the like you know 18 bricks coming up, you know that's the sugar level. So 18 bricks up to you know 20, 21 bricks, you're seeing like limes and lemons, and then as as the fruit ripens, it just starts going into apples and pears, and then it gets more into tropical like pineapple flavors. And so, uh, you know, from a winemaking standpoint, the decision on what style you make starts in the vineyard. So when are you going to pick? Uh, what fruit profile are you going for? And then in the winery, you know, you can choose to make Chardonnay 100% stainless steel ferment, which would give you a very, you know, bright, more acid-driven uh, Chardonnay. And the style that I prefer to make is 100% barrel fermented and barrel aged. And so I, I think that, that that, to me, is the sweet spot for Oregon. We're always talking about this tension between acidity. We're a very cool climate, and so we, uh, uh, you know, we, we can't ripen the Chardonnay like California can. A really really hot. Who climate. needs to ripen it like California? Yeah, 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 totally. So we're, so we're usually picking, you know, lower bricks, more of that lemon profile, and then when we put the barrel ferment and barrel age on it, what happens is it really just becomes a tension in the wine, and it's a te- textural component that uh, that that acid holds the holds the barrel in check. So. Because it's a cool climate, bright acidity, more of that lemon profile, it, uh, it it keeps the it keeps the barrel in check, so it doesn't allow the barrel to become flabby, oily, buttery. Well, I mean, the thing about this, uh, if I'm taking a guess, it's a lot of second and third use barrels, not a lot of new barrels. Too. Yeah, just about just about uh, 23 percent new barrels, all French oak, and then the rest, uh, you know, second, third use. I should point out that we're in a really funny kind of room here at the Berkeley Church. The Berkeley Church, every room has a massive echo, and this room has an echo, and we tried to find the room with the least amount of echo possible. So, so. We, so we have people going in and out of this room, which is kind of funny, and, and this uh, has, uh, it is the first podcast we've ever done all standing. We have no Yes, we have no We've never, yeah, ever done right. a podcast where we stood. Well, we're kind of trying to sneak in, like, the day is crazy busy for you guys. You had a trade yeah. tasting this afternoon that I hear was, like, shoulder-to-shoulder packed. It was packed. And yeah. hopefully the evening tasting, you went to the trade tasting, I was going to go for yep. the public tasting, and then it should be just rammed packed as well. Yeah. Well, compared to the You know, it was, it was busy there. You saw it was very busy. I think yeah. by the end, I think the last half hour, everything started to slowly let the, the air out of the balloon, kind of, uh, which was nice. You could actually lift your arms up and not hit somebody. But uh, there's definitely a huge interest in the Oregon wine. Yeah, so and, and I know. Sorry, the, uh, the the tasting tonight I know is almost sold out. So awesome. almost 500 tickets, which is amazing. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, I better make sure to taste stuff quick. Good yeah. luck. So, so clearly, um, Canadians, we are in love with with Chardonnay. We do the cool climate Chardonnay celebration here, which was inspired by the Pinot Chardonnay, or sorry, the Pinot celebration that takes place in, in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Um, has the local market, has the domestic market in Oregon started to come around on Chardonnay? Or is there people banging down the doors looking for it? Or is it still people looking for Pinot Gris? I think that the shift is happening. And I think it started with, you know, people come in and say, I don't drink Chardonnay. You put a Chardonnay in front of them. And then now it's like, holy smokes, this is Chardonnay. And I think because that, because it's, you know, in a lot of sense, more acid driven and has a lot more depth of flavor, People are less drinking Pinot Gris. I mean, everyone's still going to drink some Pinot Gris. But, yes, um, except for Michael. Except for Michael. It's delicious. I came here today. It has a place. That's amazing. Yeah. We've got the it Pinot Gris fan club here. Clearly. Yeah. yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Pinot Gris is delicious on a hot summer day. Okay. What I love about Chardonnay is it just has way more complexity to it, and especially when it's barrel aged. And that's why that's why we do the barrel aging. Mm-hmm. Is I think it just adds so many more layers, uh, makes it an incredible food pairing wine. And again, it's not buttery and flabby oak coming out of Oregon. It's, it's, it's 
its interest and complexity, and it just helps to balance that cool climate acidity, which is why we love it. See, I know, I know that I can get a little out of hand with my love of Chardonnay. To anyone who's listened to this podcast, but tasting this wine at at thirty five bucks, it just checks all the boxes. The fruit covers everything from citrus to orchard to pushing right up on pineapple. It's got an amazing mineral note on the finish, and this like dirty, funky nose that just makes it really, really interesting. Like it's not. It's not a bad funk. It's just like it's it's not it's not boring textbook Chardonnay making. There's some of the some wildness to this. What, what people don't know about Andre is that every time he buys a bottle of Chardonnay, he buys two. Yeah. One to drink, one to pour all over his body. Yeah, that's right. That's well, that's if right. I could make myself that's smell like this all the time, I would be irresistible to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Except me. I'm happy about that. You don't take Chardonnay baths. Oh, I do. That's amazing. Well, he does. Yeah. He does. So, well, thank you very much for giving us the time to talk about Chardonnay and uh, well, we Oregon. Should, we should mention that we do have an expat in the room, too. Oh, so, yes. should, oh, we yeah. not, should we not mention that? That's yeah. why we, I think the other reason we bonded over Instagram, Laura, right. you're originally from... So, born in BC. Okay. Uh, lived just outside here in Toronto, and then in Kitchener. Okay. And then moved to Oregon about about 18 years ago. So, I've been there a long time, but all of my family is still... We're the deserters, as they call us. Yeah, but you're yeah. still a Canadian citizen. You've I do. I right still away. have my passport. Um, have never, never got my American citizenship. You better hurry up before they build a wall. I know. I know. Yeah, not bring that up. Yeah, that's okay. We try to stay away from being political unless no, it's not really yeah. CDO. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you, you so much for sharing your thing. You guys, thank you so much. Uh, Andre, look, I, uh, I see your your thing about chardonnay in oregon mm-hmm. i uh i'm just looking through some of my notes and uh some of my highlights i know yours were uh, hazel fern and our next um our next interview and thomas but, uh, and thomas butchelder does really interesting things with with uh chardonnay but it's amazing how compared to what thomas does in Niagara, and this is like the third podcast in a row where we're featuring Thomas Bichelder. So, shout outs to Thomas. Um, a big thanks to Thomas, by the way. In yes. The last two podcasts. Thanks for everybody for listening, first of all. Yes. But wow, uh, we had so much fun. Thomas, you're invited back. We really want to do it again. <laughs> the listeners love you. Uh, but, so, anyways, but, but, anyways. But what I, what I want wait, to Wait, wait, wait. I just need to get to my point because we were talking about. When we talked about Thomas was that Thomas's Chardonnay compared to Niagara showed much more restraint and much more mineral and kind of a, a like just it almost I want to use the word crunchy. Okay, just, I want I want to get off of Thomas for a okay, moment. And done. That's, okay. Thomas Thomas would love that because he, he'd find that very funny. But um, what I wanted to say was uh, I know you liked Thomas's and I know you liked the Hazel Fern and our our next interview, which just happens to be Druen's. Um, winery out in Oregon, but uh, I do want to throw some love I th- uh, uh, to Iris. Yes, uh, who I thought I-, I really liked that Chardonnay. My top three, one in my top three. Well, and Iris uh, is, is, liked- is a Iris is a cool winery. Uh, like it was nice having them at the event because uh, as sort of the sno- snooty wine people, we think about the Willamette Valley is just being up and kind of in proximity to Portland, but Iris is right down near Eugene, Oregon. And it really gives you an idea of how big 
the wine growing region is in that state if you take a look at a map. And this is going to be the the plug because it's our podcast to my website. I had a chance to visit Iris, and their Chardonnay was a highlight of my visit. You're probably not going to believe this, Michael, though. I found that the Irish Chardonnay had a little too much oak on it, and because of that, it didn't really stand out to me. Uh, see, I, I I like that one. Yep. And uh, I know it was uh, uh, 50-50, uh, 10 months in oak. There are only 300 cases made. I just thought that was a really nice Chardonnay. Uh, I also like the Highland Estates uh, Old Vine. And uh, there was a really nice one uh, that was Dijon clone uh, from uh, Forest, which I thought was good. So those were my my three. And then uh, also, I guess within if I were to make a top four, because we did drink quite a bit of this one when we were talking uh, to the guy from Druin. We have another interview lined up, and this is what happens when Michael lets me set up the interviews. <laughs> this is why I shouldn't let you pick things, but go on. <laughs> and this isn't, uh, as we do our popular legacy series about Ontario, this isn't really a legacy series interview, but we're talking to Aaron from Domaine Drouin, Oregon, and in a way, they are pioneers for what Chardonnay tastes like in Oregon. So thank you very much for giving us some time. Oh, pleasure. Thank you. So, you guys are pioneers for a very nerdy reason, and it's you guys figured yeah. out what clone yeah. of Chardonnay does best in the state, in my opinion, and in I think many people's opinions. I don't know that we, I don't know that we, we were lucky in timing, to be honest, because we, the, and I say we, I've worked with the family since 2002, um, so I, I obviously have a lot of history with them, but knowing the story, we didn't come to Oregon, or the Jones didn't come to Oregon for Chardonnay. Yeah. They came for Pinot Noir. Yeah. And when they came, they had tried some Chardonnay, and obviously coming from Burgundy, you know, that's the kind of natural progression, right? Pinot Noir, Chardonnay. Um, but they, um, it was the wrong clone, to be honest. And people still argue, they say that the Swan clone can still do good things, and it can, it can. But what's really made Oregon Chardonnay special, to be honest, is uh, what was the introduction of the Dijon clone. Earlier ripening, smaller cluster um, Chardonnay. And so... When they came, they decided in 1992 to plant some Chardonnay, and that was just after the Dijon clone was planted. They said, you know what, Dijon clone's here, it's a little early ripening, might retain a little acid, let's plant a couple acres. And so in 92, it was a little bit of an experiment. We planted five rows of Chardonnay um, to see what it did. And so in 93, we made Chardonnay, 94, we made Chardonnay, 95, we made Chardonnay from those five rows. Never released them commercially, but just wanted to see the style of what a Drouin Oregon Chardonnay would be like. Yeah. Um, obviously, the result was successful. We now have 12 and a half acres of Chardonnay on the property, Dijon clones. Um, but uh, um, 96 would be the first version that was commercially released, Dijon clone. And for the first five years, it was classic, traditional, uh, barrel fermented, barrel aged, maybe a little lee stirring um, style Chardonnay, which was nice, pleasant, beautiful wines. But, you know, in Oregon, particularly coming from Burgundy, it's kind of the Wild West. You know, there's no rules or regulations on what you do stylistically or don't do. You know, we're in Burgundy. I mean, I guess you could put Marceau in stainless steel, but you're not going to. Or, you know, in, or, or Chablis for that matter, AOC Chablis. Most of the time it's going to be mostly stainless steel, maybe partial mallow, no mallow. Um, and so that's kind, of the, that's kind of the where the wine styles have gone. But in Oregon, for Chardonnay, it was kind of like we can do whatever we want. And so we did. And yeah. so Veronique kind yeah, of started... six guns and their 10-gallon well, hat. Away they went! It's kind of true. It's kind of true. So in, in 2000, Veronique started playing with adding some stainless steel, no malolactic, to, uh, to, the, to the blend. 
And in that, the beginning it was 10 to 15%, stainless steel, no mallow. And she liked that style. What she liked is it kind of brought back some freshness in the wine. And so 2001, we did a bit more of that. It went to about 30%. Um, and then in 2002, what we're tasting out, 2015, yep. kind of went, it kind of got to that style. So good. About a 50% stainless steel fermented and aged, no malolactic. The other half is barrel fermented yeah, so and barrel aged. I guess I'm going yeah, to finish, gonna finish this bottle. You're, that's what, you're that's so, what I'm You're so do. good at like, going, like, we got to take sorry, a moment of pause. Sorry, sorry. What is in our glass? Uh, this is 2015, our tour. So this would be our most uh, current. Oh, you got with the French pronunciation on Arthur. this too. Arthur. Artur. Artur. Uh, Chardonnay. Um, so Arthur is... Uh, How much does this cost? This would be... Canadian would be $41. That is not bad for 41 bucks. Yeah. Um, no, see, no, no offense to our friends at Hazelfern. This is, this is a Chardonnay I, I really like. This is, it's very different in style, though. Like Correct. The, Hazel, the Hazelfern is, is a small batch, a little rough around the edges. This is... This is elegant, like to level ten. This like, is polished, and yeah, there we yeah. go. That's right <laughs> on the bottle. <laughs> this is this is like the definition of, of, of elegance. We have like there's a nice vanilla note, but it's so well integrated. It's fruit. It's mineral. Yeah. It's like there's lots of fruit. There is the mineral compound. Okay. There is the acidity. But it's just got some absolutely beautiful fruit, and I think that's what I really but like. It's, it's one wine. of those weird wines where the fruit is. Massive, like Wait. peach, Wait. pear, peach, apple, pear. but at the same time, completely reined in with the mineral and the acid. Like it's, it's trying so hard to bust out of this bubble, but it's, it's kept in in check. It's yeah, it comes itself. back. Toge- it comes back together. I mean, that's the point. Is is that there's some tension to the wine? It has all this fruitiness that you say. It has all these fruit profiles. It's a very ripe vintage. 2015, one of our riper vintages, one of our earlier vintages. Uh, actually, would be the second earliest vintage, not for Chardonnay, but but in general. Um, so there's a lot of ripeness there. But but what I love about it is it comes back together in the end with kind of some acid spine. And that's, I mean, isn't honestly what you pay for in Chardonnay? You pay for texture and, and you pay for te- texture and tension. I mean, mm-hmm. Mont Rocher is the classic example. It's the example, right? It has beautiful texture, but it does finish back together. It comes back together with acid spine. Um, and you, and you, you, it's obviously we're not making Montmartre. It's on our, it's on our goal. It's on our point. It's no, you're we're making, making you're Oregon, Oregon. We're making Oregon Chardonnay, um, but it, but it is nice that it has this freshness, but it finishes clean, I guess. In the now, how important would you say Chardonnay is to the global identity of Oregon in the future here? So, and I'm asking you to speculate. It's your opinion. It's my opinion is that. My opinion is that. It will become it will become our second most famous grape variety in Oregon. Oh no, you want more, and I know you do. Yeah, but I have to go taste a bunch of other wines. I've already, Michael, ta- I've already Michael, tasted. Michael. So it will become the. Uh, to, uh, my feeling is that if we had the right clone at the right time, we'd be more famous than Chardonnay, for Chardonnay than we are Pinot Gris, at this point. So I would agree with that thing that you three, just said. Three years ago, the the amount uh, percentage wise of, of grapes grown in Oregon that were Chardonnay was three percent. Mm-hmm. Now, today, as of 2018, it's about 6.5%. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, 13% of what is grown in Oregon is Pinot Gris. Yep. I don't think that Pinot Gris is going to grow much past that. Yes. I, think that I think that probably within the next 5 to 10 years that Chardonnay will catch it. Now, for uh, Dementorway in Oregon, how much of your production is Chardonnay at this point? Um, versus Pinot in percentage? Uh, be about 10%. 
Would okay. you, do you think that Pinot Gris is going to diminish no. in um, in Oregon? No, it's the gateway wine. <laughs> okay, it's All Oregon's right. gateway wine. Uh, I think that it, it has its place. It's a fresh, easy example of of, of a white wine from Oregon. But it's com- very good. But and, complexity and wise, like, like, it will the, never. Just to put this on the record, the purpose of this podcast isn't to shit on Pinot Gris from no, Oregon. No, 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 no. Pinot no, Gris agree. from Oregon is is wonderful. Yeah, I agree. But I agree. It's sort of like Pinot Gris, well-made Pinot Gris on its best day, will never compete in terms of interest with a really well-made Chardonnay just in terms of That's depth right. and complexity. That's right. I'm sure someone is going to tell me that I'm wrong. I know you like doing that, Michael. Someone listening to this podcast is going to tell me I'm wrong. Bring it on. I don't care. Bite me. No, I think from a quality standpoint, the next grape that will be the next quality wine produced... Um, I say quality. It's, it's again. I feel like I'm beating up Pinot Gris. I'm not trying to. Yeah. Um, I no, just feel complexity-wise, Pinot Gris has its place. But I feel the next, you know, that the wine that's going to demand fifty, seventy, eighty, a hundred dollars a bottle, Pinot Gris will never do that in Oregon. To be honest, that's I. I, you know, I, I think I really even Pinot Gris producers would agree with that. I really hope Chardonnay doesn't demand eighty, hundred dollars a bottle either. I'm well, I think, this, I think I'm some will this, go there. I think I'm saying some will this go there. while biting my tongue that yep. Chardonnay from Oregon should never surpass $25 American <laughs> a bottle so that I can afford <laughs> it. Get so that Andre can buy more Chardonnay from Oregon. Listen, if you keep this price at, at, at $41, bucks, like i can not afford $41 bucks every week, but I'm telling you, if you have $41 bucks in your pocket right now and you have the ability to buy this wine... I think it's delightful. Go do it. Like I, I really like. This you know, the thing wine. that's crazy about this wine is we released the first vintage in 1996, and it released for thirty dollars a bottle. People thought we were out of our minds for a thirty dollars Chardonnay in 19 what would have been 1998. So in 20 years, this wine is only. I mean, uh, let's talk in U.S. dollars. So this wine would retail for 35 U.S. dollars now. Yeah. Um, it was it was 30 20 yeah. years ago. So yeah. we uh, uh, that's a true of Drouin wines. We're never going to try to. It's true of our Dundee Hills Pinot Noir, and you know this is not, not a great digressing into Pinot, but um, there's a stability of price that the Jones have always kept. That they've said that this is where the price should be, this is what is constant, this is where we think the not necessarily quality is, but uh, it works. And so um, I, I know that we do make it. We do make a seventy dollars Chardonnay that's barrel fermented. It's more for direct consumer, you know, wine club only. It's worth seeking this. I mean, I mean, I always joke that's about, where I that's where I think the hundred dollar price will go. But I'm one of those like broke-ass millennials and people like to talk about it working broadcasting. I like to keep the wines affordable. But that being said, if that $70 wine is a step up from this, you might be able to pry that $70 from my hand. Right, and not every time. Cold, but it's dead a, hand. But it's a, it's a special, you know, it's a special bottle Absolutely. of wine. But so is drinking white burgundy. And I'm not saying yeah. that Oregon's white burgundy by any means, but... But I think that sometimes there is a special occasion wine where, you know, you find a premier cru uh, Merceau that you're willing to pay it's, more money honestly, for. Honestly, it's, it's great because um, Durang are one of the flag bearers for premium winemaking in Oregon. And to yeah. hear that you guys are price-minded makes me excited yeah. as, a, as a consumer, especially we always as a have been. consumer. We always have been. Which means I will still be able to afford something from the winery even right. though you're still I don't even think we're covering inflation. You think when we released a wine, yep. the, the Pinot, for example, in 1990, our 1988 Pinot Noir, it was $35 a bottle. Okay. At that point, people thought, oh my God, they're out of their minds, $35 Pinot Noir, which I guess, in, you know, relative speaking, I don't know what 35 would translate to dollars now, uh, maybe 60, I guess, 55. Um, I don't have my infl- inflation. I don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. Yeah. Um, but that same wine that was $35 is now $44. I don't think we've actually covered inflation as far as our prices. Um, so so. I seem to remember the, um, the Pinot that went through vintages last fall that I thought was just spectacular. I think it was about $50, 55 bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So worth the price of inflation. Yeah. Or sorry, 
present admission. <laughs> I think the Chardonnay has gone straight to my head. Um, that's enough talking about the about the price here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So the boring much. side of it. So. Well, thank you so much for important side for bringing the wine. And, oh, my and pleasure. About my pleasure. And my Oregon, pleasure. And uh, hopefully, we see this on the shelf, the LCDO, where we got. Yeah, uh, this, this was delicious. I hope so. But to, to be honest, just the final statement for me: watch out for Oregon Chardonnay. I think it's really uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a shocker in the coming years. So. What he said. Well, Andre knows that I'm not a, a, a huge Chardonnay fan, and I've had two glasses while we, while we did this 10-minute <laughs> interview, so that means something. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. So it's interesting that right before we threw to that tape, you talked about Dijon clone, and it is one thing that I learned about, about Chardonnay, and I know we try to not get too geeky on this podcast, but what's been fascinating um, about my adventure into learning about Oregon wine period is how important the clone of um, Chardonnay makes into what a wine ends up tasting like. And yeah, because they were they were t- talking obviously there about uh, of growing what they called the um, the, Cal- the they California, call them California clone. clones. What was that? Yeah, the Californian clones. Because a lot of people learn to make wine in California. Yeah. Brought their and minds they, up to and Oregon they, and just the thought Dijon it clone. I think does a lot better in Oregon. Yes, I really do. Now, the one thing that I did find amazing about the Chardonnay is it, it definitely has its its distinct terroir, but it just it fits so well in this market here. Like it, it I, I would be more than happy to pour any Oregon Chardonnay next to Niagara Chardonnay in terms of quality, and it might be difficult to pull some out of the lineup to see what comes from where because there are a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of very distinct things about those wines as well and just because we're in oregon and and we should talk about it i had a top three pinot so i should just give them out i know you were all about chardonnay that night but I we really should was. give a little bit of a massage uh to the pinots they make uh and i'm not even sure how to pronounce this winery you obviously maybe been there when you were there uh chehalem 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 yeah. uh their uh, ridge crest vineyard was really really good mm-hmm. i enjoyed that pinot uh immensely there was uh, Domaine Roy, uh, yes. or Domaine Roy. Domaine Roy. I actually did taste that one as well. Yamel Carlton Incline. Holy God, was that good. Probably my favorite Pinot uh, while I was there. That was that was totally awesome. I never heard of Domaine Roy or Domaine Roy, but I understand it's Roy, not Roy. Yeah, because Domaine Roy et Fils, so Domaine Roy and Phils, if... I'm sure people yeah, down there say and that. Phil. So there's got to be a guy named Phil there, too. Well, the one that's and, still, uh, back to Highland Estates, talking. that okay. Coorie clone uh, 2015. Uh, again, <laughs> really good Pinot. Um, for me, one of the clear standouts was uh, Argyle. The Argyle always makes Argyle. good stuff, too. They didn't, make my, they didn't make the top three, but they probably would have been in the top five or six. Well, here's the thing that I found interesting about Argyle, and I'll make this this brief, because uh, I, I recently did the trip to Franciacorta, and I think it gave me more appreciation for what those wines tasted like than prior to that, because the fruit definitely gets a little riper in Oregon than it does in Niagara or Champagne, but they do manage to retain that, that really crisp, searing acidity. So it's more like peaches and apples instead of like apples and, and lemon. If you get a chance, definitely try the Argyle sparkling wines. Oh, I don't remember trying any sparkling wine while I was there. Surprisingly. They were right next to Sweet Jesus. You were too busy. You were hung up on the ice cream. That's right. I really was. That was such good ice cream. Oh, my God. Oh, well, we should close this one off, should we not? Absolutely. I really, really, really hope that this is an annual thing for Toronto. It's so great for Oregon. If you're a wine agent listening to this, 
check the list of the wineries that were taking part. I know, uh, I guess, our, our friends of the podcast at Hazelfern are looking for representation, and it would be so great to see those wines in the market. And then you cut out. Yeah, well, I just, I was done my thought, Michael. You're supposed to jump in there. Oh, well, my, my thought is, uh, so subscribe to this podcast. Uh, see, I don't do it as well as you. Subscribe to this podcast. Angry phone calls to Michael Pincus. Leave a comment. Obviously, because I Give can't us a remember. Rating. I can't remember <laughs> shit. Uh, yeah, but I mean, leave us a comment. It really um, helps boost the profile of the, the podcast. So if you like this, leave a comment on uh, on iTunes. And you can check my stuff out at andrewinereview.ca. And I'm at michaelpinkuswinereview.com and a variety of other places. And uh, take us away, Michael. Good night! Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.